Well, shalom. We'd like to welcome everyone to the Torah to Besorah class for Parsha Akare Mot, which is after the death of Aharon's two sons. We are in the fifth Aliyah tonight, starting in chapter 17 of Vayikra with verse 8 and going through chapter 18, verse 5. Our Besorah reading tonight is Matthew 15, 10 through 20. And Mark 12, 28 through 34. Without further ado, we shall say our opening bracha. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakar banu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et horato. Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah. Amen. Who's reading? And to them you shall say, Any man of the house of Israel and of the proselyte who shall dwell among you, who will offer up an elevation offering or feast offering, and he will not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to perform its service to Adonai, that man shall be cut off from his people. Any man of the house of Israel and of the proselyte who dwells among them, who will consume any blood, I shall consecrate my attention upon the soul consuming the blood, that will cut it off from the midst of its people. For the soul of the flesh is in the blood, and I have assigned it for you upon the altar to provide atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that atones for your soul, for the soul. Therefore I have said to the children of Israel, Any person among you may not consume blood, and the prostitute who dwells among you may not consume blood. Any man of the children of Israel and of the prostitute who dwells among them, who will trap a beast or a bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with the earth. For, for the life of any creature, its blood represents its life. So I say... To the children of Israel, you shall not consume the blood of any creature, for the life of any creature is in its blood. Whoever consumes it will be cut off. Any person who will eat a bird that died or was torn, the native or the proselyte, he shall immerse his garments and immerse himself in the water. He shall remain contaminated until evening and then become pure. But if he does not immerse his garments and does not immerse his flesh, he shall bear his, he shall bear his iniquity. Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am Adonai your God, who do not perform the practice of the land of Egypt in which you have dwelled, and do not perform the practice of the land of Canaan to which I bring you. And do not follow the traditions, carry out my laws and safeguard my decrees to follow them. I am Adonai your God, you shall observe my decrees and my laws which man shall carry out and by which he shall live. I am Adonai. Yeah, amen. Sore portion. Okay. Start with Matthew fifteen ten. Matthew fifteen ten through twenty. <clears throat> then he called the crowd to him and said, "Listen and understand this: What makes a person unclean is not what goes into their mouth; rather, what comes out of his mouth." That is what makes him unclean. The Talmudin came to him and said, Do you know that the Purushim were offended by what you said? He replied, Every plant that my Father in heaven has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Let them be. They are blind guides. When a blind man guides another blind man, both will fall in a pit. Kepha said to him, 
explained the parable to us. So he said, don't you, don't you understand even now? Don't you see that anything that enters the mouth goes into the stomach and passes out into the latrine? But what comes out of your mouth is actually coming from the, your heart. And that is what makes a person unclean. For out of the heart come forth wicked thoughts, murder, adultery, and other kinds of sexual immor immorality, theft, lies, and slanders. These are, are what really make a person unclean. By eating without doing netilat yarayim does not make a person unclean. One of the Torah teachers came up and heard them engaged in this discussion. Seeing that Yeshua answered them well, he asked them, which is mo the most important mitzvah of them all? Yeshua answered, the most important is Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael Adonai Echad. And you are to love Adonai, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your understanding, and with all your strength. The second is, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other mitzvah greater than these. The Torah teacher said to him, Well said, Rabbi. You speak the truth when you say that he is one and that there is no other besides him. And that loving him with all one's heart, understanding, and strength, and loving one's neighbor as oneself, mean more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Yeshua saw that he responded sensibly, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared put him another. No one dared put to him another Sheila. Amen. No more questions. All right. So audio, uh, just kind of judging on what I heard from last time, I will have to reiterate as people are tagging in so we will need to try to summarize all of our points after everyone's tagging and sharing do we want to give time to just hey tag and give this into the talking phone yeah yeah like five of us it's easy enough to just hey when you're done pass me the phone oh okay pass 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 tag pass <laughs> okay brookshim All right, who's going first? If not, I definitely want to drop this beautiful story from the Midrash. I'll tag it real quick. Um, you want me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, in verse 20, Matthew uh, 15, 20, these are thing, uh, not things that contaminate the person. Uh, these are the things that contaminate the person, but eating without ritual hand washing does not contaminate the person. Kind of drawing a um, drawing a difference between like purity and following Hashem. Mm -hmm. And because you know a lot of a lot of times people read this and it's like, see, why do we wash our hands? This is dumb. But it's like you know, there you know, 
you can follow God without necessarily needing to be perfectly, um, quote-unquote, ritually pure, whatever that looks like nowadays. Um, and most in the context of it, there's a lot of people that will, um, it's like, yeah, no, you know, I'm not... Uh, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to do something for a religious reason. But the religious reason is really, it's like the fact that you weighed the washing of the hands over following, being pure over following Hashem. I mean, it, it's kind of, it's more than, the hand washing kind of immaterial, really. It's the, the message underneath it's kind of pretty interesting. But anyway. Yeah, that would be something. Actually, I actually have a little tripod I'd be able to bring up, and I always a little Well, I have this little fancy. All right, Bridgestem, well, I'm going to tag in with uh, the Midrash Says, page 187. The Kohen Gadol's entry into the Holy of Holies was accompanied by the tefillot of the entire Kalal Yisrael, the entire congregation or assembly community of Yisrael, and his emergence from there awaited with tribbling. So there's kind of this, is he going to, what's going to happen, what's going on kind of thing. And so it says... The Torah warns that if any part from where from there well the Torah warns that if any part of the ceremony were not executed according to the Torah commandments the Kohen Gadol would incur the heavenly death penalty Vayikra 16:13 So they get into this story about the Basically, the fathers of the Sadducees, who um, they had to crack down on, for so to speak, because the Sadducees are very anti-rabbinical, and so they're having to do this thing where, okay, recite back to us everything you're supposed to do for when you go in there, because no one's going to see you. You're going to be in there by yourself, and there, and you need to follow everything precisely because. It's kind of a big deal for you to affect atonement for the community. And so, of course, there was all the breakdown and the and everything that what the the Sadducees would do. So there was all this kind of stuff. So uh, so I guess I'll pick up right here because this is kind of the effects of what happened with the Sadducees. It says, how could I relinquish this opportunity for which I waited all my life, replied the son, to fulfill the Torah as it is interpreted by the Zadokim. It was not long before he was found dead upon a garbage heap, worms crawling out of his nostrils. This was Mita Kenegamita punishment for having inhaled the scent of the Ketorit outside the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies. Again, you are supposed to follow everything to the point, right? Mm -hmm. So if you uh, divert from it, it causes severe death. Okay. According to another version, he died as soon as he left the Holy of Holies, stricken dead by an angel. The Kohen Gadol Shimeon Hazadik officiated for 40 years, and in the 40th predicted to the people, I will pass away this year. How do you know, they asked. Every Yom Kippur, when entering the Holy of Holies, he explained, I used to perceive the image of an old man 
enveloped in white garments who entered together with me and left with me. This Yom Kippur, however, he accompanied me only on my way in and not out. Who was this old man? Rabbi Abahu taught. Shimeon Hazadik perceived a prophetic vision of Hakadosh Baruchu himself in the form of an old man accompanying him for protection. So, little side note here it says, in fact, the Shekinah accompanied each Kohen Gadol who came to serve in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, but only a high priest great enough was able to perceive it. What was true of Shimeon Hazadik was certainly the case with Aharon himself. He used to envision Hashem when entering the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. So I just love that story about how the, uh, the Kohen would go in and Hashem would show up in a vision, in a form, and namely in white garments like Mashiach when he was resurrected. So the resurrected image of Mashiach accompanied the Kohen Gadol in every Yom Kippur. And it was just kind of like if he goes in and comes out with you, then you're you're covered, you're protected. But if he goes in and doesn't come out with you, then you're not. Yeah. So. Did you see him? Um, this is a long ways I'm supposed to learn from him because like he's wearing white, so we are white. Right. So we learn from him. Yes. And uh, and actually, the, the the tradition of why we wear white on Yom Kippur is because of this. You know, because when the code would go in, he would only wear white. And then you have the Midrash of Hashem himself wearing white. And so you have this whole picture of we're reflecting the same uh, kind of ceremony that happened in the Beit HaMikdash. Yes. Nice. Who's up for learning about demons? Oh, yeah. <laughs> real, real quick, um, one interesting thing is the, the whole meat and dairy thing. Um, meat and dairy? One of the things about the whole meat and dairy thing, the, it's like, why foul? Why uh, foul? And there's this one interesting talk with this mitzvah about the blood mm-hmm. and how if you're going to use a mother's milk, you, if you're going to spill its blood... Um, like they're, they might be different animals, but they still bleed, you know, it's like, cause it, it alludes to the reason of this mitzvah being that how does a human who relies on its blood sit there and destroy an animal and eat its blood? Um, so there's kind of like an interesting point that, um, you know, it's like as a human, I don't know, yeah, just, you know. No, it's just uh, the whole not Georgia um, because it, it purposely puts it out as beast and foul. You should not eat their blood. So as to killing them, in, they draw that killing them kind of has the same implication as, as a, a human. Well, not as murder, but you know, as a human who lives by his blood. Mm-hmm. That to draw the blood of another animal, no matter if it's a foul or a beast, is equally important and right. so when you whether you know to separate life and death 
is just because it doesn't have milk is kind of irrelevant. It's like, right? It's still a living, bleeding animal, and to and to kill it while not necessarily morally wrong, to kill it nonchalantly, it's like ah, it doesn't have milk. Why? 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 How do you boil it and smell the milk? It's like no, you're killing this animal. That it's if you kill a cow and boil it and smell the milk, it's like same thing as if you just kill this chicken. Have some respect. Don't go boiling it in someone others in someone else's mother's milk. No. Right. So you're doing the separating meat and milk, based off the premise of life and death, yeah. all through the fact of the blood is mm-hmm. the life of the animal. And yeah. so, how you're not supposed to just kill animals and you know. Uh, yeah. Because I mean the 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 prohibition that the Torah brings down is that you have to cover it. Mm-hmm. You know, with the earth, and you can't just slaughter animals sacrificially outside of the precinct of the mm-hmm. of the temple. So, all right, Brukashim. Yeah, we'll we'll just try. It. Okay. Yep. All right. So this is coming from the Ramban. So shouts out to um, Rabbi Wolby from Torch, which is so funny because. Rilla B and he's Torch and he's in Houston. So <clears throat> he was just like going over this whole thing about Azazel and talking about the uh, the demons that the goat Azazel is sent to. Technically, it's if you in one kind of light, it is a uh, or dark light, I guess. It is a sacrifice that's specifically to the demons, but it's called Hashem's sacrifice, you know, and obviously it's not done the same way we bring sacrifices to Hashem. So there's all that to take into account. But anyway, getting into all of that, um, he brings down that the Ramban goes over all of this stuff about demons in uh, chapter 17, verse 7. So I'm going to pick up in the middle of it. It says, the meaning of the name Se'irim which, by the way, is related to Mount Seir, which is related to Edom and Asaph. It says, The name Se'arim, which is demons, will become clarified for you from there as well. The demons are called Shadim because their abode is in places of Shadud, which is desolation, such as the desert. Which I think is so fitting that Mashiach was sent off into the desert. So when was Mashiach ever the Azazel? How about when he sacrificed himself for 40 days? You know, but anyway, uh, it says, and uh, by the way, that same place where there's desolation is where Hashem decided to take us, surrounded by his glory to give us the Torah. So, I mean, it's just this whole thing of Hashem is like, okay, I'm going to take away the demonic powers and I'm going to also give you life and life abundantly on top of that. So um, he says, and they mainly exist in the extremities of the earth, such as the far north, which is desolate because of the cold conditions there. Okay, so that's a lot. Okay. Know that just as the creation of the body of man and of all creatures possessing a soul and of vegetation and minerals at the outset of the original act of creation were accomplished out of the four elements, 
Those four elements were combined with one another through a divine force, causing a substantive physical body to be formed from them, which can be perceived by the five senses because of its thickness and substance. So, too, there was an additional creation made from two elements, from fire and from air, from which the quasi-physical body came into existence that cannot be perceived or discerned by any of the senses. Just as the soul of an animal cannot be discerned by the senses because of its insubstantiality. And this is kind of where I think you were, Mr. Hawkeye, talking about the animals and, and their actual worth, you know, just because yeah. we can't really perceive, you know, the whole, the meat, the milk and all that, like as far as boiling them, but they do have a soul, you know, in the flesh yeah. that animates them. And so, um, but anyway, it says this created body is spiritual. So here we go. We have a spiritual body that's consisting of Ruach and Aish. Where have we seen Ruach and Aish before in the Basora? Matthew chapter 3, Yochanan is saying something to the effect of, I make for you with water, but the one coming after me will make for you in fire and Ruach, HaKodesh, fire and water. Okay, so... Is it not interesting here that it's fire and air, which is the same mikvah of Mashiach. Mashiach mikvah us in fire and air because air is ruach. And it says, so there's a quasi-physical body. And so it says, this created body is spiritual. It can fly through fire and air because of its insubstantiality and lightness. And just as the amalgamation of disparate elements in any object composed of four elements is the cause of its generation and ultimate deterioration, so it is with these creatures, i.e. demons, that are composed of two elements, the fire and the air, that through the combination of the two elements, it becomes a living corporeal entity, and through the elements' separation from each other it becomes a dead things. So in order to literally kill a demon, you gotta separate its elements, which would disintegrate it. Yeah. Which is interesting. So when we look at the fact of Ruach HaKodesh and Aish through Mashiach Yeshua, those two elements combat the two elements that the demonic forces are actually made out of. So literally how Rabbi was bringing down yesterday, how you overcome demonic activity in your life mm -hmm. is through Torah observance because it is fire and it is Ruach, it's Mashiach. And so why did Mashiach have power over demons other than obviously he's a manifestation of Hashem, but he is made of not, he's made of many things as well, but uh, specifically the component of the fire and the air, those two things like literally obliterate demons so uh yeah so anyway there's a lot more going on over here but okay. it's just uh it's just interesting with the fire in the air and demons have a quasi physical body i'm gonna have to go back and come forward a little bit 
And I'm in the Zohar. Okay. Okay, let's go back. Um, the first article is, And he shall cast lots upon the two goats. We have learned that from the aspect of Iman, there are two spirits who pursue judgment attached to the left hand. We have established that they daily spy on or from the feet of the land. Namely, Malchut, meaning they nourish from Netzach, Hod, Yesod of Malchut, referred to as feet. This is the secret of two men spy, Yehoshua 2.1. I'm getting to the goats. Okay. Okay. So right now we got the left. We and got that's the left. judgment. Yeah. We have learned that Israel has a more fortunate share than the idolatrous nations, as the Holy One, blessed be He, desired to purify them and have mercy for them, as they are His portion and inheritance. It is written, For Adonai's portion is His people, Devarim 32 9. And He made Him ride on the high places of the earth. 13, 32, 30, 30, 32, 13. On the high places, exactly as they join up higher and higher with Zer Apin, Anpin. Therefore, the love of the Holy One, blessed be He, is clinging to them, as it is written, I have loved you, says Adonai, Malachi 1 2. But because Adonai loved you, Devering 7 8, from this excessive love, He gave them one day during the year to purify them. And to clear and to clear them from their sins, as is written, for on that day, Vicarus sixteen thirty. That was in order that they may be meritorious in this world and in the world to come, and that no sin may be found in them. Consequently, on this day, Israel, Israel are, cry, are crowned and rule over the persecutors and all spirits. Going on. We have learned that an Aharon shall cast lots upon the two goats. Aharon shall cast. Why only Aharon? Because he stems from the aspect of Chesed and thus is able to perfect Malchut with Chasidim. Upon the two goats, behold, upon is to be understood precisely, hinting about Malchut which is above the two goats, so as to give fragrance to the, to the matron yeah, to the matron denoting Mahut, one lot for Adonai and the other for Azazel. Vaikra sixteen eight. He questions these two goats. He questions these two goats symbolize judgments. So why should one of them be for Adonai? He answers, The Holy One blessed be he he said, Let one goat stay with me and let the other wander wander around in the world. For if both join together, the world would not be able to bear it. Wow. This goat comes and comes out and roams around the world. It finds Israel performing good, good, performing various kinds of worship on various levels, and a variety of good practices, and it cannot overcome them. Among them all, peace reigns, and the goat cannot commence to slander them meaning to instigate against them. This goat is sent with the burden of all the sins of Israel. Support tag. Go for This is a beautiful picture about Barabbas mm -hmm. because he is also typed as a Azazel as well because, mm -hmm. you know, there there's Yeshua and Yeshua because mm -hmm. Barabbas' name was Yeshua. Yeshua. Yeah. And so 
when the people chose Barabbas, mm-hmm. Hashem obviously chose Yeshua. Yeshua. Yeah. So you have the 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 goat that Hashem selected to himself as mm-hmm. Mashiach, mm-hmm. and then you have the Azazel that the people selected. Which is Barabbas. Which is Barabbas. So if you kind of look at that overlay, you have a picture sort of that the people's sins were mm-hmm. placed on Barabbas mm-hmm. and he was sent away. Right, because didn't Barabbas get killed later? Yeah, a very <laughs> tragic death. Yeah. So you have this idea of the people having an atonement mm-hmm. through that. So anyway. Okay. okay. So anyway, we have learned the numer- that in coming into the, to where you were talking about about demons. We have learned that numerous bands of demons are ready under the authority of this goat. <laughs> okay. Prepared to spy out the land against all those transgressing the Torah. Wow. But on that day, Yom Kippur, it is unable to find words of slander against Israel. When this goat of Azazel arrives at the mountain, multiple joys burst forth from it to all. Even he who pursued judgment that emerged, namely that the supernal goat recants and speaks praise of Israel. The persecutor has become the defense attorney. (laughs) Sweet. Wow. (laughs) Judgment is overturned through the Azazel. Meaning the slanderer has now become the champion spokesman for Israel. So that's the the power of the Azazel. That's the power that's of the Azazel in the Zohar. Kind of a backup tag from Avodah Zarah 3B. I was actually reading about Azazel on Wikipedia, and it led me to hear Avodah Zarah 3B in the Talmud. But Rob, doesn't Rob Yehuda say that Rob says there are 12 hours in the day? During the first three, the Holy One, blessed be he, sits and engages in Torah study. During the second three hours, he sits and judges the entire world, but once he sees that the world has rendered itself liable to destruction, he rises from the throne of judgment and sits on the throne of mercy, and the world is not destroyed. Um, and then it, it mentioned that um, Memtet basically does the same thing. Right. Come on. Uh, uh, this is from Wikipedia again. It is suggested that in the fourth quarter of the day, God sits and instructs the school children. While in the preceding three quarters, uh, Memtet may take God's place. Um, may yeah yeah. He no. may take God's place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, which, which you know, Hashem says, "I'll give my glory to no, to no, no other." One. Yeah. So um, he's giving. And one, so they start counting according to the days at sunset, right? Basically. So the first quarter of the day is. And the third quarter of the day would be Minka, and then fourth quarter obviously loops back around at midnight. Shalom. Not here. Um, well, there's there's two ways to kind of interpret that because even though the days start at night, when mm-hmm. you kind of look at the daylight hours, yeah, that's also the other twelve hours of light. Well, actually, no, 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 hold on, hold so. up. It, oh, he's talking about during the day, actually. Yeah, in yeah. the day, twelve hours. There you go. So it actually no. So it'd be because there's twelve hours in a day and twelve hours in a night, but twenty four hours in a full day night cycle. Yeah. So then, well, if yeah. that isn't confusing, and wouldn't that be, be? So the first like three hours of the day until about what nine o'clock, nine ten o'clock, yeah. and then from about like ten, from like nine or ten till 
like noon or like one o'clock from one o'clock to like three or four and then from four to sunset basically yeah okay so think about that with the akida of mm-hmm. Yitzhak and the akida of, of mashiach because mashiach they started him early in the morning and so did uh but so at Abraham the same time so the same time that mashiach died would have been when he was sitting on the throne when hashem was sitting on the throne of mercy huh yeah Come on. So I was I, kind of unrelated, but I was just scanning around Wikipedia and the Talmud and that came across that. The third set of three hours, a whole and blessed bee sits and sustains the entire world from the horns of wild oxen to the eggs of lice. During the fourth three hours, he sits and makes sport with a leviathan, as it is stated, there's a leviathan whom you have formed to sport with. So he basically plays with the dog. That's kind of entertaining. Um... Evidently, God makes sport every day, but not only, but not not only on the one, uh, not only on that one day. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzhak says an explanation. He makes sport with his creations just as he sports with the Leviathan. He does not make sport of his creations, but on that day, he does not make sport of his creations, but on that day alone. Hmm. Yeah, Avodazarat three B. Pretty interesting. Sure. It's a little tag. Right. It's just to connect back to the to the demons and then to the the blood. Actually, uh, apparently, Sforno brings down that that's the the food for demons, and that Point drinking beer, it yeah. is uh, a form of of communicating with them and like coming to them. The blood. Oh. Yeah, the blood. Yeah. Then that, yeah, I don't remember a lot of the blood magic and stuff. Was, yeah. yeah. All right, we're getting better at passing the phone. Brooke Shim. You got some? No, just angels. Angels, what? They also eat sacrifices. Angels, yes, they are. Uh, that's brought down by the Tehillim, actually, that the uh, sacrifices are the food for the angels as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like if we do our Corbinote properly. Then the angels are nourished, but if we do our corbino improperly, then the demons are nourished. So it's a beautiful contrast. Okay, so oh, and that's interesting talking about the, that if you miss slaughter the animal, right? That the demons get the blood instead of the angels. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're showing the old demons then. Yeah. yeah. So hakatav, which is the writings. Ve HaKabalah, which is the receiving, so like the writings in the Oral Torah, basically, is a, a source, and it says, Vayikra 16.30, he will make atonement for you to purify you. Rabbi Khan brought this down in the Aliyah Day. Well, he really did bring it down, not kind of. But uh, it says, the verse mentioned the concept of purity after atonement. So you have Kiper or Kippur. And then you have Tahor, which is Yom Kippur is our Kippur, and it's also our Tahor. So we get covered, we get everything wiped out, and then we also get purified on top of that. So it's a double portion of what's going on. So it says, this is to teach that Teshuva has the power to overturn deliberate transgressions into merits. This is because of the language to purify, which has two connotations. One is the removal of filth and refuse, such as in pure gold. And the second is the shining of radiance and clearness, as in Shemot 2410. And like the appearance of the heavens, 
for purity. So it's using the same word in Shemot 24 as it does in Vayikra 17 or 16. Sika. And then it says, this verse speaks of both of these types of purity. As it says, from all your sins before Adonai, you will be purified. If you will try. This is the really big kicker because most people don't do this part. They just go, oh, you know, woe is me, I sinned. Well, Hashem, be merciful. But it's like, no, you have to try. You know, like the priest has to put wood on the fire. Yitzhak had to carry the tree, you know, this whole thing. And so we have to apply ourselves. So it says, if you will try to purify yourselves and remove from yourselves all dross of sins. This is, again, why we still keep Yom Kippur, even though we believe in Mashiach, because though he has brought us atonement, he's brought us purity, he's brought us newness of life every single day. We still have to have action, and Yom Kippur is like prime day of doing that. And so um, it's kind of like the picture of, you know, there you can do things, you know, every single day, but there's like the most opportune time to do something. Like if you want to light candles, you know, you can light candles every day of the week if you want to, but lighting candles on Arab Shabbat is the prime time to light candles. Yeah. So we're making teshuva every day. We're trying to strive every day. But Yom Kippur is the day that is most conducive to doing that. Hey. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. It says, we have been urged about the need to repent in many places in the Torah. And it is clearly set out in the Torah that Teshuvah is accepted by Hashem, even if the sinner repents as a result of his being beset by many troubles. Mm. And certainly, if he repents out of fear of Hashem or out of love of Him, Teshuvah is accepted even when it results from suffering. For it is stated in Devarim 4.30, When you are in distress and all these things have befallen you at the end of days, you will return unto Hashem your God and hearken to His voice. And the passage continues, for Hashem, is, for Hashem your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you nor destroy you. And he will not forget the covenant of your forefathers that he swore to them. Aside from accepting Teshuva, Hashem assists and elevates a person who repents. Also, it wow. clearly sets out in the Torah, Hashem will assist those who repent, raising them to an elevation, spirit, to elevated spiritual levels even when they are not naturally capable of reaching such heights. And he will renew within them a pure spirit that enables them to attain the noble the noble trait of loving him. As it is stated, you will return you will return unto Hashem your God and listen to his voice according to everything that I have commanded you today, you and your children with you. You and your children you and your children, yeah, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. And it is stated later in that passage. And Adonai, oh, and Hashem, Adonai, ah, and Adonai your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring to love Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That means that with respect to the level of spirituality sword. that you and your offspring did not reach, even through your best efforts. Adonai will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you can reach the purest levels of loving him. 
So if you could read that line one more time, loving the Lord your God, because that's our Vassor tonight. Right. Okay. And you will return unto Adonai your God and listen to his voice according to everything that I've commanded you today. You and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. And that brings us the purity of Teshuvah. Right. It's stated later in the passage, and Adonai will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring to love Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And basically, the baby. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that this means that with respect to the level of spirituality that you and your offspring did not reach, even through your best efforts, Adonai will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. So that you can reach the purest level of loving him. So if we do what Mashiach taught us, the greatest mitzvot, uh -huh. even if we fail in trying else. to serve him, still he still is going heart. to take everything right. up over the top to right. the next level. Right. Like, good job, my good and faithful servant. You did an amazing yeah. job. Yeah, to shoot on, on your shoe. Yeah. Shoe. <laughs> So this is where this is where it breaks down with the bad theology of, you know, no one can be without sin and right. no one can uh, do all of the law. No one can walk in righteousness. Or this one. Oh, but God knows my heart. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I want him to circumcise it. That's why I, I know he knows it. <laughs> you know, I know he needs to circumcise it kind right. of thing. Right. So that's very, very beautiful. So that's Sha'aray Teshuvah. Sha'aray Teshuvah. All right. So. Back to what I was saying here uh, with the Hakatav Ve Hakabalah. When we get to that point of trying to purify ourselves and removing ourselves from all of the dross of our sins, specifically on Yom Kippur, it says Hashem will make atonement and He will purify you. He will remove you from your filth. Furthermore, Hashem will do more. Hashem will even add Teshuvah to your Teshuvah. So if we're making Teshuvah on our Shuba, then he's going to make Shuba on our Shuba. So I, I don't know about y'all, but I, that is ridiculous. You know, it's just kind of like, why wouldn't we want to try if that's the, if that's what we're entering into, like the measure of Hashem's help. But it continues, it says, furthermore, Hashem will do more from the filth itself one will be overturned and become shining to radiant light and clearness for the deliberate sin itself will become a merit. So the filth and the refuse of our sins that we bring to Hashem and say, we want to make atonement for, we cry out to him, we go through Yom Kippur with it and bring it before him and try and try and try, cry out, cry out, Shema, Shema. All the Lord, loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all our strength, and then Hashem circumcises our heart. He turns all of that filth and everything into the shining radiance. And then that ties to Yeshayahu 61.3 that says, I'll give you beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning. So... And the last little thing here before I hand it off, because I know somebody's about to tag in, is Rebbe Nachman also echoes this in Vayikra 17.7 when he's talking about they would no longer sacrifice to the demons. He says there are Jewish scholar demons. 
who expound false interpretations of Torah. These, my friends, are the anti-missionaries. The one who says no one can atone for your sins. You know, a man dies for his own sin kind of thing. But check this out. So instead of just going, you people are wrong, we're going to punch you in the face. This is how we do it. This is how we fight back. It says, when these people are giving false interpretations and distancing people from Torah, distancing people from God, when a person hosts righteous guests in their home, as did Avraham, he increases his faith and breaks and eliminates those heresies. Mm-hmm. So the way to dispel the Jewish scholar demons <laughs> is to be hospitable to Zadokim. Which is it's funny because it's exactly what the, the, the man in that story with the two Zadokim that came and started ridiculing about his country. That's exactly the man who's just like, man, I'm just trying to get rid of some dead, but you guys are the demon. You know, you walk up and start, you know, running your mouths and it's like, you know, you got it completely wrong. Wow. It's kind of, it, that makes just another layer on that story of how, how like, truly wrong that entire situation was. Man. And an, another thing, I mean, yeah. <laughs> You gotta get it's, rolling. Okay. So, go ahead. <laughs> um, one interesting, it's kind of a picture you see a lot in the Zohar, and really it kind of makes sense for like the entirety of life. Is it kind of like the good and the bad and how they coexist? I'm just talking about the you know how your sins become merits. Yeah. Because um, if you really think about it, it's like the very concept of the only way the only way to ex- get rid of demons is to break them into their base components. Yeah, you have to so use the, it, separate the fire and the air. Yeah, exactly. And so it's kind of interesting to think that. Um, the same way there's a lot of things that only get destroyed if you or, or some things like water is indestructible unless you separate it uh, atomically mm-hmm. and then in that case you get two very like the two most reactive almost two most reactive elements um, at least the two most reactive gases mm-hmm. um, and I mean it's water so it's interesting to look at it in kind of it's like physical all these high spiritual things about demons and stuff and how, like, physically, like, every day you experience it. Um, and, I mean, and the same thing with, like, you know, fire um, is still, like, just separate, taking something and breaking and separating into its base elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other interesting thing is to relate the whole demon breaking elements and the changing of dross and stuff to pure silver Yeah, is... Um, oh, what was I gonna say? The the breaking of oh, that you know if you if you break down the the, the dross, you to its base elements. You know you have all kinds of stuff that's still useful. Mm-hmm. But if you just say you know what I've made the if you just discard it as a, as a byproduct instead of embracing it for what it is. You're just left with dross. But if you look at it and be like, hey, there's got to be something in there. Let me work to refine it. Wow. That's wow. when, you know, it's like um, like the amount of byproducts that come out of gasoline uh-huh. mm-hmm. that are, like, critically important to your life at this moment. I mean, like, plastic is kind of up there with, like, most plastic is basically just gasoline byproducts. Or vice versa, gasoline is a byproduct of a lot of other processes and stuff. So... So you know, I just think it's like so byproducts of our of our sin 
failures. If you don't properly embrace them, yeah, yeah, and you can refine them to to essentially you can sanctify them. Wow. Mini tech. Okay, what you got? It was that. Yes, you. It's right there. The, it was just that there was a whole thing of like all your wrongdoings will turn right doing through teshuva. Yes. So that's that's all. For sure. Your, your byproducts. That's all your all. Your, By yes. <laughs> nice, nicely doing. Okay. That is actually a Gemara from 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 Gemara there. Oh. Okay. That's how I wrote Tractate Rosh Hashanah. Wow. All right, back to around seventeen, somewhere in there. All right, yeah. back to back on the Azazel. Okay. Um, from the Kehot Fumash. All right. It says, from the, for on this day, this is uh, uh, 1630. For on this day, God will affect the, the following aspect of atonement for you in order to purify you. As stated above, the he goat sent to Azazel atones for all sins not atoned for by other methods of atonement, thus assuring that all possible all possible infractions of the law can be atoned for. Nevertheless, all these methods of atonement only exonerate the individual from liability for further or more serious compensation for the damage he caused. They do not atone for the sin's detrimental effects on the individual himself. These effects are atoned for by the observance of the holiday of Yom Kippur itself, i.e. refraining from work, observing the required forms of affliction. This latter atonement that, that affected by Yom Kippur itself is not contingent upon the individual's repentance for his specific sins, but only on his overall desire to repent in order to be reconciled with God. Thus, by observing the holiday of Yom Kippur together, with all the other methods of atonement, you will completely be purified before God for all your sins. And then it says to see figure four. Well, in figure four, it's a chart. And in this chart, it says, <laughs> it says the right, or right, sprinkling the blood of the high priest bull for the priest and of the people's he goat for everyone else inside the Holy of Holies. Atones for entering the temple or eating sacrifices while defiled either deliberately or unwittingly, if originally aware, but then forgot and still has not remembered. Burning incense inside the Holy of Holies atones for tail bearing. Okay. Sprinkling, yeah, that's the golden mm -hmm. Sprinkling the blood of the high priest bull for the priest and of the people's he goat for everyone else toward the curtain. Atones for the defilement of the candelabrium, the table, or the curtain caused by a ritually defiled person or entity having touched them. Applying and sprinkling the combined blood of the high priest bull for the priest and of the people's he goat for everyone else on the inner altar. Defilement of the inner altar caused by something that was ritually defiled touching it. Sending the he goat to Azazel. Intentional or inadvertent sins not atoned for by other methods of atonement. Sacrificing the high priest ram for the high priest and the priest ram for everyone else, these being these being ascent offerings, atones for sinful thoughts. The goat 
of the additional offerings for Yom Kippur, unwittingly entering the tabernacle or eating sacrifices which, defi which defi while defiled, if originally aware but discovered afterward. The day of Yom Kippur itself. One, the effect of all transgressions on the individual. Two, in non-temple times, combined with other forms of atonement. And then it states, as long as the tabernacle or its successor, the temple, is standing, the latter aspect of atonement will remain subordinate to the more prosaic forms of atonement. By wiping your slate clean of sin, these forms of atonement will largely counteract any adverse effect that sin may have on you. In contrast, whenever there will be a hiatus in the existence of the temple, it will be necessary to resort to other less radical forms of atonement. And therefore, the simple observance of the, of the holiday of Yom Kippur will play a much more significant role in affecting complete atonement. How many like uh, how do I phrase this? I'm gonna I'm gonna call them landmines, but not in like a sense that they can be diffused, it, it, that they're uh -huh. not necessarily guaranteed dangerous. But okay, um, the one interesting thing out of Zohar um, entry seventy two, page four thirty five. Which one? Page four thirty five. Um, we are told that one who one who eradicates his nails entirely has awakened kindness in the world because many bad spirits are aroused by the filth in the nails. Sorcerers can perform witchcraft with them and the person can be harmed if someone steps on the nails. Now, I remember we were talking, or like it was brought up about the witchcraft done with the fingernails. Okay. Did, who had the source on that? I don't know. It sounds familiar, right? Ooh. What nail? Which one now? Uh, there's, there's sources out there about it. I don't recall them exactly what do you want to know about the fingernail the the former i think maybe it was like one of pharaoh's people that or some there was some magician that used the fingernails to do something weird okay i'll uh, see what we get hmm. but um and it's more of a, it's such a kind of like a vague statement and like the, there's a lot to be decom de was it unpacked from this um, we have learned that in the secrets of defilement, the fifth, filth of the nails stir other filth, meaning the filth of the serpent. For this reason, it is necessary to hide them. One who eradicates them entirely by burning them is considered as having awakened chesed in the world. We have learned that man does not need to leave a memorial for those evil kinds, as we have learned. 1,405 bad types are caught up in the filth that the mighty serpent spews, all aroused by that filth in the nails. So it's, it's interesting. Um... um because, I mean, right, the nails being the last remnant of the skin of Adam and Hava before they fell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's just I, like, I don't have much to say about it other than just, like, wow, what am I even reading? It's pretty interesting. Um, kind of like, I guess, an invitation tag? I mean, anybody got any uh, thoughts or anything? What do you mean? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wow. Did you read 405? Four, no. I kind of was scanning through. Not 405. Oh, yeah. 404, yeah. That was the second part I was about to get to. Oh, okay. And, of course, we come across, you know, El, um, uh, the, the one lady demon who shall not be named. Yeah. 
Um, she is called by Lamed uh, Tet. Tet. Yeah, Lamed Tet. I, I've taken her calling her LT, but the, the okay. L, Lamed Tet would be. Yeah, we don't say her name out loud. Okay. And the, the one interesting thing that caught me off guard was when it talks about the sons of Elohim saw that the daughters of men were fair, mm-hmm. was the product of Adam's. Um, it wasn't even adultery because I suppose they were. I, I don't know. Um. But it's definitely that the the Nephilim didn't come down. It wasn't with like normal females. It was the offspring. It was Adam's daughter, daughters. But also last week, you know, last week we had TTB. They were talking about why is Adam's daughters never mentioned. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that the the somewhere along the lines, it comes across as just like because all the daughters were born of. Or not, maybe not all of them. All the ones I've seen at, up to this point have been born through demons. So that, that's kind of Well, his strange. first daughters were born with uh, Cain and Hebel. Because with those sons were born daughters. Okay. There were two daughters born with um, Hebel. Yeah, okay. I think I remember reading about that, yeah. So yeah, the rest of the daughters came from Cain because he progenerated all throughout the world since he was yeah. wandering from place to place. So when the demons came down or the fallen angels came down, they saw those ladies mm-hmm. and took them. So it wasn't technically like Adam's yeah. daughters, like first generation. Hmm. Not saying anything on the magic with the nail. Would you like him to read something or? Well, what got me? I went, I was just Can reading. we pass the... Oh, yeah. So, what got me? Uh, 47, 42, uh, 72, section 4 or 5, it says, Okay, this says, anyone who wants to can perform. You really want me to read this part? <laughs> no. I Thank just... you. No, I really don't want to. But So, what were you what, what, to I, what I was tagging in on was really caught my attention was when it was talking about that that um it was talking about where it says if it was so with the remnant of what was left of the of the refuse above, which was talking about the nails, mm-hmm. how how much more so the woman that welcomes and joins with the serpent in whom he injected his refuse. That's what I got. I was like, what? Okay, so when it comes to that, there are so many different interpretations. Right, that's what I was like, what, 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 what? So the main primary thing on that with the woman and the serpent is that through uh, the act of eating the forbidden fruit from the tree, mm-hmm. there was it was considered to be some sort of union with oh. the woman and the serpent. Not a union in what we would carnally think, okay. but... There are those interpretations that are out there, so don't be surprised if you come across stuff like that. Okay. So, uh, spoiler alert, newsflash, uh, <laughs> disturbance alert. Right, because um, that's kind of disturbing there. What kind of Well, I mean, that's stuff. kind of why, that's like Jack's why I brought this up, just because there's a lot of it in here. Yeah. yeah. Where, like, literally, it's like every other page is like, wait, what? Yeah. yeah. So to get down to the and main, I guess that's why I don't really to read get so down much. to the main point though, uh-huh. is there is something called Zohama, which is what we know as defilement. Uh-huh. When we count the Omer, we talk about may we be cleansed and purified from our defilement. Yeah. 
that word is Zohama that we actually say in the Hebrew of that bracha. Mm-hmm. Zohama is what was put into us through the, the, the eating of the forbidden fruit, mm. which is the impurity of the serpent. Mm-hmm. That's the impurity of the original sin. That is the only reason that we die apart from us uh, being not disobedient to Hashem. So if you live your whole life, you're completely Torah observant, you don't even sin, and you follow everything to the T, like, you know, Yishai or Benjamin, mm-hmm. people like that, mm-hmm. you still die because of Zohama, mm-hmm. which comes from the serpent. So that's what that's talking okay. about there, the filth from the serpent that entered into us, first through the woman, but then ultimately through the man, because we partook as well. So then that totally counteracts and refutes the whole teaching of original sin. Right. So now original sin, if people say there's no original sin in Judaism, it's like, okay, so the reason we die as human beings, uh, there's that. So so uh, I didn't find anything yet on the sorcery with the fingernail stuff. Does, but does it at least sound familiar? Because I wasn't part of that one. Mm, so. I've heard of it. But there is all sorts of Kabbalistic teachings about like hair follicles and fingernail clippings, toenail clippings that you want to burn them. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just like throw them away and all this kind of stuff because Klepot and all sorts of other stuff that I gets mean, attacked. Somebody rooting through my trash for fingernails. But, but I, don't, I don't really uh, subscribe to any of that because I haven't studied those depths. And <laughs> when you get into Kabbalistic thought, mm-hmm. it can go really extreme. You know, yeah, there's, there's reasons why you do certain things with your left hand. There's reason why you do certain things with your right hand. That's why there are certain ways you put your shoes on and all sorts of stuff. So, um, but that's something that as you go throughout your years in Torah, you mm-hmm. get to that point. You don't just go, well, because you're not putting your left shoe on first, you're, you're a sinner. Mm-hmm. Okay. So is that why they say you're not even supposed to look at um, Zohar until you're like 40? Right. Yeah, it, you need to be well versed in Torah as if you have experienced Torah for 40 years. Okay. So that is a, a bar that is adjustable depending on what Hashem has measured out to us. Mm-hmm. Some of us, without even trying, can just open up a Torah book, a Hasidic thought or Kabbalistic thought and just drosh with the best of them. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, but you've only been here for like five hot minutes. <laughs> Now, I don't recommend people do that, even if you have that gifting, because you want to build up your foundation. But just know Hashem does have certain gifts that he granted each of us, which is the beauty of Torah. It shines light on that. So if you find yourself gravitating to a particular topic, please make sure you seek that out with Hashem and develop that and refine that, because that is very, very important as far as your tikkun as a human being. What you have to bring to the world, what Hashem has put into you, you definitely need to make sure you be in touch with that. But um, anyway, so one of those areas is the Kabbalistic thought, and there are people who can just go to town with that. Okay. So anyway, Baruch Hashem. Like I said, it's just like, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, so it does get crazy. Um, Zohar is good uh, for like, if you... If you come across things that directly tie to all the connections that we're dropping down from Midrash and Parsha, but just getting off into the Zohar, doing Zohar studies, mm-hmm. unless you're unless you're on a level, you know. You need to keep you know? it grounded and related. To yeah. It. It needs to be a thread intertwined with your entire core. It can't just be its own yeah. study. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the reason why uh, we quote Zohar, especially like the Talmudim and Rabbi, is because when you come across sections that talk about, so there's this child mm -hmm. who are just dumbfounding the sages mm -hmm. with his teachings. It's just like, oh, you mean like when Yeshua was sitting in the temple right, courts right. That's as a child yeah. dumbfounding the sages. Mm -hmm. And right. it's just like, oh, there's Zohar on that. Yeah. Now we go into that particular study mm -hmm. because those are our roots, i.e. the thread that is keeping us grounded and uh, yeah. you're just kind of following the trail. Kind of like the Azazel earlier. Yeah, like the Azazel. So, but other than that, you know, you really don't, mm -hmm. you're not missing anything. David did it. <laughs> wow, so we don't throw our fellow brothers and sisters on their buses. No, it's just interesting because it's just really interesting because he brought it up and it was something that made me think about something else, you know. And I'm just like, wow. So I, I, I understand now why they say do this and do that. Okay. You know, I, I yeah. mean, for me, because. Many explanation. I've had two family members that delve in that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, uh, don't leave nothing laying around. Mm -mm. Yep. Yeah. Well, Brooke So, yeah. All right. So, tag. <clears throat> Rebbe Nachman back on chapter 16, verse 24. Why is the Cohen Gadol changing his clothes so much? That's what's That's up. That's something I want to know. Okay. <laughs> You talk about, okay, because me, I used to be, well, I guess I'm kind of quasi still a performer, but I used to like literally be on stages, have to do quick changes, go into the next song, you know, da 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 da. You know, actually, I'm very slow at putting my clothes on, so yeah, I was challenged. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't mean like that, but <clears throat> like, as far as just changing clothes in general, I am very slow at that. And it was just like, you got 30 seconds to change your whole outfit, hat included. Okay, go. Uh, and it's going to be completely dark. So anyway, uh, that's a that's a little peek into my, my former life as far as rapping and dancing. That's what I had to deal with. So the, the 1624. But the cool thing I love about this, though, is... That's a small, very, very dim and very, very opposite spectrum end of what the Kohen Gadol is doing for Yom Kippur. Mm -hmm. He has five wardrobe changes. And he's going from an eight-piece outfit to a four-piece outfit mm -hmm. to a, like, one-piece, two-piece outfit. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> you know? And this is in a, a quote-unquote public place, even though he's obviously not changing in front of people. But... Right. You know, um, there's a lot going on. Sounds me like he had to get real. And by the way, did I mention he's been fasting for like 25 hours, oh just like God. everybody else? Oh my God. After he stayed up all night, because Midrash brings that down. That's in the Midrash says as well. If you want to know what the Cohen did on Erev Yom Kippur, get you some. It, it's pretty much like what Yeshua went through in the garden when he was telling his Talmudim to stay awake. So that's that's where we find that particular part of the Besor. Anyway, long introduction to say. Rebbe Nachman says, There are five immersions on Yom Kippur. When the Kohen Gadol would walk from the service into the courtyard to the service into the sanctuary, he would immerse. When he reversed his path, 
he went from the sanctuary to the courtyard, he would also immerse. Yoma 31a. When passing from the lesser service, which is the courtyard, to the higher service, which is the sanctuary, this the sanctuary is where the menorah, the showbread, the golden altar, all that, right? The sanctuary. Says it is understandable why the Kohen Gadol immersed himself in a mikvah. Okay, going from a lesser to a higher and a higher to a lesser, you mikvah. This is like why we take the three steps forward, three steps back, Shimon Esrei. And then it says, <clears throat> but why should he immerse himself when moving from the higher to the lesser? The two services correspond to Okay, which was the we will do and we will hear. First, a person must strive to ascend from the level of Naase to the level of Nishma. When he attains the higher level, then he must strengthen himself anew. Teshuva on Teshuva, mm -hmm. renewal, he cuts you, right? He must strengthen himself anew to strive for even higher levels of Naaseva Nishma. Thus, when the level, when the Kohen Gadol entered the sanctuary and attained that higher level, he immersed in order to draw an even higher level. So he's leveling up like five times. This is Rebbe Nachman on 1624. Okay. So just knowing that the way that we're making teshuva, the way you go through the mikvah, the way you change your spiritual garments, that's all about ascending higher level, elevating. And uh, remember that uh, Hasidic, Hasidus teaching says that your garments are your thoughts, your actions and your speech. So think about elevating all of those areas as you're making teshuva and you have your own Yom Kippur ritual every day. Like you're immersing and changing your garments. You're doing your quick changes. Hey. Yes. Okay. Okay. Leviticus 1624. After removing his linen garments the first time, he must immerse his flesh in a, in a mikvah, in a holy place i.e. inside the courtyard, and, the, and only then don his regular high priestly garments a second time in order to continue performing the rites that are not unique to Yom Kippur. Similarly, he must immerse himself in this mikvah after he changes from the linen garments to the regular ones for the second time after removing the spoon and pan from the Holy of Holies. After donning his regular priestly after donning his regular priestly garments for the second time, he must go out to the area of the courtyard north of the altar and sacrifice his ascent offering rams followed by the people's ascent offering ram. He will then he will thereby effect further atonement for himself and for the people, this time for his and their sinful thoughts. After this, he must sacrifice the seven sheep required as the additional offering for Yom Kippur. And then this is the third reading. Second, this this going on into twenty five. He must burn. He must then burn up the fat, the kidneys, and the diaphragm of the two Yom Kippur sin offerings, the high priest bull and the people's goat together upon the outer altar. That's a lot of moving. Right. <laughs> he must then immerse himself, change back into the linen garments, and remove the spoon and pan from the holy of holies, just as mentioned. 
He must then immerse himself, change back into the regular priestly garments, offer up the offer up the rest of the additional sacrifices for the day, the ram, the bull, the, the ram, the bull, and the goat. Offer up the afternoon daily sacrifice, burn the evening incense, and finally kindle the lamps of the candelabrium. After this, he must change into his personal clothes and go to his house. That's right. After that, he tired. Yeah, <laughs> but the work isn't over till he gets home to his wife. <laughs> well, that's it's not like that. No, <laughs> So, what I'm alluding to is the fact that the uh, the actual I believe it's in the Kehot Humash um, that talks about when the Kohen Gadol goes back home, that the Yom Kippur service is not completed after the five changes and the all the offerings and all of that. It's actually complete when the Kohen Gadol makes it back home to his household because the whole picture of that is about you have to bring... You got this? Uh -huh. No, not that. You can tell that. Oh, okay. Something is kind of related to that. So. Oh, Bruder Okay. So um, you have to bring the highest worlds down into the lowest world. You have to bring Hashem into the lowest place. And so the fact that he's made all of this elevation, all of this ascending... If he doesn't ultimately bring it back down and anchor it into this world, mm -hmm. which is uh, exemplified by the wife, this is why it's important for us as guys to have a wife, because we have to bring godliness into the world. And the woman is the is called the house. And so if you think about making a dwelling for Hashem in the lowest of worlds, right? Like mm -hmm. that's the whole picture of mm -hmm. make a house for Hashem. And it's like, oh, so guys, we elevate through our Torah study. And then we bring down all of the Kedusha, all the teachings, and we share it. There is a passage actually in the letters that talks about this that says, men, we are to wash our wives with the water of the word. You know, and so, um, yeah, it's somewhere around there. But, but that's what I'm saying, that the, the Yom Kippur service is not complete until the Kohen makes it all the way back home and shares all the Kedusha and all the elevation with his wife. So, Ruby Shin. All right, so you got some orchards over there? Yeah, orchards of delights. Now, this is, uh, it talks about how that spiritual high that happens right after Yom Kippur. Yeah. Like there's at the very peak of it at the end. Yeah. That what happens after that, because does it just fade away, is what they ask. Mm. That spiritual high. And so they say that the. It talks about how. What page are you on? This is 383. Cool. The Holy of Holies and the Sukkah. That's what it's called. You some. It says one of Yom Kippur's climatic moments occurs when the high priest enters the Holy of Holies with the incense in the fire pan. While in the Holy of Holies, the high priest created a cloud of smoke that filled the enclosed space. Obviously, the smoke eventually dissipated. Hasidut, delving even ever deeper, asks what really happened to this cloud of smoke. What happened Taking to this phenomenon to theoretical and allegorical levels, Hasidut asks what happens to the passion of the soul aroused to its very heights after Yom Kippur ends. Some answer that the cloud of smoke representing the soul's passion is transformed into the sukkah's wall Walls and especially its upper covering. 
This interpretation makes sense as Sukkot, the festival of booths, begins five days after Yom Kippur. Wait, wait, the what? smoke makes the walls and the upper? Mostly the upper part. So the spiritual energy is naturally transmuted into the next spiritual endeavor. There is actually a custom to, uh, custom to do some work on the building one of one sukkah on the evening after Yom Kippur in, it, in order to emphasize the spiritual connection between the two holidays. So when you say he was going back home, yeah. it was, there's a tradition of going to start on the sukkah immediately wow. that night. Okay. But it keeps going. You got more? Yeah, because it's going to... We're going to go over time. <laughs> but wait, probably. there's more. <laughs> the question of what happens to an awakened or inspired soul once the peak experience begins to fade into memory is an important, is an important one on both practical and theoretical levels. Thus, Chassidu asks the same question about the aroused soul once the sounds of the 100 Rosh Hashanah shofar blasts fade into memory. Chassidu answers that the numerical value of the Hebrew word for the foliage used to cover the sukkah, sechach, is 100. The heart awakened by the piercing sounds of the hundred shofar blasts does not become dormant again. Its spiritual energy is transmuted into the very structure of the holy sukkah. Okay, wait, so the shofar blast of Rosh Hashanah is the smoke in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, mm -hmm. which is the covering of the sukkah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's tight. Okay. Sweet. Okay. You got more? Yeah. Okay. Well, at least one more paragraph that I want to. Sukkot, <laughs> <laughs> so, following the contemplative days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, is the essence is in essence a continuation of the same teshuva process but with a special emphasis on joy and integration. What began on Rosh Hashanah as ethereal and idealistic longings of the heart must now be actualized within the real world. Wow. So now so it goes... Bringing it... Bring it down so that way we can have like a more physical intimacy with what we just learned. Yeah. Through Teshuvah. Wow. So your sukkah becomes a picture of the yearning that you express through Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You had some? Uh, yeah, well, partially supporting on kind of the descent of holiness into our world and how we, you know, we go out and get to build a sukkah. Does Hashem need a sukkah for him to draw to you? No. But he still commands you to go and build a sukkah so I may draw to you. So it's kind of interesting, this whole the entire picture that it comes down to build me a house of sticks so I can come draw to you. Yeah. Kind of interesting to think about it. The other interesting thing. Well, she's yeah. still going now. Don't, oh, are you? Don't try to sneak in a tag. I mean, yeah, there's just the rest yeah, of that pa paragraph. Oh, that was only the beginning. Okay. That was the beginning part of that paragraph. I thought you were support <laughs> tagging, so okay, yeah. that's your support. I'll, I'll leave the support tag, yeah. Okay. All right. And it continues The Torah commands us to shake the four species palm, citron, myrtle, and willow. Luna. On Sukkot, in six directions. The four cardinal directions, as well as above and below, this represents the hands-on integration of the deep introspection of prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. In the process of shaking the four species in each direction, they are first held close to the heart. They are first held, held close to the heart, then they are thrust outwards and shaken, and finally they are brought back to the heart. 
all the innermost and deep felt prayers in the heart and mind and represented by the blast of the shofar on the incense cloud must now find the means to manifest themselves in the outside world. Wow. So physical, so the word becomes flesh. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty cool. I, I thought it was... Well, I'm calling the police on you. And Toda uh, Rabah. Just a quick support tag because yeah, we're going to Hawkeye. Just quick support tag on you, what you brought out earlier. Washing with the water. Yes, Ephesians 5, uh, 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your, love your wives just as Messiah loved his community and gave himself up for her to make her holy, having cleansed her by immersion in the word. There it is. Boom. Tell her about That's called a source tag. <laughs> So I, I think it's funny. I mean, we have a police station in shop within a shop estate's block. <laughs> that, that's really why I picked this building. But also, so one interesting thing is um, we have a fire station within a shop block. Nice. The um, the word the word that they use to describe the snake, the arumim or arum, and it, it has so it's where are you at? Yeah. Janet Bereshit. Hold on. Bereshit what? Uh, three, verse one. And the, the snake is called a, a room. It's not called. It, he is called a room. Cunning. He's not called the. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's the an word adjective. For cunning it's is an adjective. A room. Yeah. Okay. Told that. Um. It, it's spelled the same. Ayin Reish Vav, and then you come to Achare, when it's talking about all the forbidden relationships and the phrase it uses, is you expose their nakedness. The word for naked is. Ayin, Reish, Vav, Tav instead of Men. So, actually, hold on. Which, by the way, you know, that's the same word for destroy, destroy. Uh, in our Telling 137 for the Daughters of Babylon, mm. that the Daughters of Babylon said destroy, destroy, like raise the temple to its foundation. So, in other words, make Hashem naked, desolate, bare. Mm. <laughs> like that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, it did. Well, you know what I mean. When Mashiach was on the crucifixion. Right. So, if you, with this thread of the Memetav, that same word with an olive, at the, if you flip it around mm -hmm. with an olive in it, it's arua, which means you can event, I guess. And then, let me... Um, spell it forwards. You got a tag on numbers over there? Um, there's some things about Yom Kippur and five, but... Cool. If you could share that, and then... Drop we'll it. But yeah, it's just interesting to think about that. Just put it out there. Can you pass it over? This is on Yom on, uh, Wisdom Jewish Numbers. On Yom uh, number five. Yom Kippur, the five afflictions. The expression of these five components of the soul comes to the fore on Yom Kippur, the day of the atonement, when a Jew is spiritually cleansed from sin. This is accomplished through withdrawal from the bodily urges that naturally lead to sin. The prohibition of the five bodily afflictions refers to the abstinence from eating or drinking, washing the body, anointing the body, wearing leather shoes, and marital relations. Symbolically, these five restrictions release the five components of man's soul from the shackles of his body. In touch with his true inner being, a Jew is elevated to the stature to the, to the stature of an angel. Additional incidences of, of five found in the context of this holy day include the five immersions of the high priest during his special his special temple sac sacrificial service 
and his change of garments of five intervals. The term nephesh, a general expression of the soul, is mentioned a total of five times in the biblical passage regarding Yom Kippur, and there are five prayers recited during the, the course of this day. Mariv, Shekarit, Musaf, Minka, and Nela. Oh, wow. All right. I want to close this out with one drop from Or HaKaim to kind of tie up everything that we went over today. Because when you look at how Hashem helps us when we make Teshuvah, when we try, when you look at uh, demonic activity and how to dispel that, when you look at carrying holiness down from the heavenlies into the lowest of worlds, bringing fullness of manifestation to all the spiritual concepts, carrying all of the holiness that we bring down into the next event, which is interesting because all the heights of Pesach, how do you make that to Shavuot? Through the Omer, right? Mm-hmm. right? So, which Bezer HaDashem will count that shortly. So, I just wanted to bring this down because Or HaKaim in 17.5 is saying, they shall slaughter them as peace offerings to Adonai, <clears throat> which is talking about the goats, or actually any, any animals that they're uh, slaughtering in the open field. And so, why, why don't we just make sacrifices anywhere, you know, and it's just kind of like, well, you're not supposed to do that. But Mini tag. Why don't we, why, why can't we have a Sabbath on any day? Why can't we have a Sabbath on any day? That's a rhetorical question and a very violent question. And when you get home, the FBI is waiting for you. Okay, good, good. Okay, so, um, it says here, it says, the privilege to eat of the peace offerings, which are called shlamim, is reserved for the Jewish people. The only peace that Mashiach said, you know, the peace I give you, that's only reserved for the Jewish people. Okay, so if you're not Jewish, you're not eating of the peace that Mashiach gives us. Okay, anyway, that was not even, oh my gosh. Okay, I don't know what to do. Okay, idolaters may not eat of Peace offerings. Shall we say again? Idolatry. What's idolatry? Anything that's not observing Torah, not loving Hashem, being off the path. Okay, so yeah. So just, yeah. All right. Let's get to the actual commentary. It says, Or HaKaim describes the proper response to this gift of Hashem's love. So when Mashiach says, I give you peace, not like the world gives, and, I, and he also says, I've overcome the world. What's our response? How do we respond to everything that we talked about tonight? This is how we do it. And for this one great thing alone, this demonstration of Hashem's love for his people, the soul of a Jew should spring free from the constraints of its physical container, i.e. the body, and yearn to devote itself to Hashem's service with total dedication, without feeling of any resistance from the body or its desires, due to the overwhelming sweetness of the love of Hashem, blessed be he that is felt, by a soul experiences the flavor of his of his most pleasant affection. I.e., when a Jew realizes how much Hashem loves his people, and thus experiences the pleasant taste of Hashem's affection for him, his soul 
will naturally become overwhelmed by a reciprocal feeling of love for Hashem, which will inspire him to devote himself to Hashem's service without restraint. So we get back to our Basura portion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you should love your neighbors you love yourself is also that as well. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabet okeinu, Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-Torah. Amen. Amen. Shalom. Lala Tov.